Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. Be sure you're subscribed by searching for Fans First Sports Network Fantasy, and you will find every episode of the show. There have already been 16 incredible conversations about the process and ins and outs of running and managing your fantasy team. Uh, And today's will be the 17th and no exception. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I'm here to break down what's going on in the industry with some of the greatest minds around fantasy baseball in a way that tries to demystify this wonderful game a bit while we have a little bit of fun. Today, we're checking in on the state of fantasy baseball a week before the trade deadline with Michael Govier. You know Govier from his incredible work on the Palazzo podcast, which, by the way, I we were just talking about this off air, but I'm fairly certain it was the first fantasy baseball show I was ever on. I'm very grateful to Govier for that opportunity. You also know him from his work at FTN Fantasy. He has won of my league mates in Glarth, and I love hanging out with Govier every chance I get, so I'm thrilled to welcome you to What the Fab, my friend. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. I don't know how it all started, but I do know that you came on Palazzo many times, and you know our show was a little nothing, too, so I was glad that you would come on and talk Cubs with us and you know go back to the old days with you and Andy and where we've been now and where we are I I think it's cool that we get to develop these relationships I mean yes we play fantasy baseball and it's fun to compete but we get to know each other a little bit and we're all in different cities and that's what's cool about fantasy baseball beyond just playing the game that maybe people don't realize when you get involved in meeting other people and playing in other leagues it's a it's a cool little bonus we finally got to meet each other in person last year in Arizona yeah, I was actually uh, just having a conversation with a friend who was like, should I go to First Pitch Arizona or not? I'm on the fence. I was like, you should absolutely go. 110% go. You will not regret it. I'm going again. I'm uh, working with Baseball HQ now, which I'm really excited about. I've been writing the playing time tomorrow and Ellie's oh. column there since April. Yeah, yeah. So that's been fun. It's just part time, you know, like here and there, yeah. but it's been great. And so I'll get to go as part of the Baseball HQ team. But even if I was not doing that work, I would still be going back because honestly, it was like meeting all my fantasy baseball Twitter friends in person, and they were all even cooler than I thought. And I, I think I was a little worried that I'd feel like out of place or, you know, there aren't many women in this industry. So, you know, you kind of yeah. walk into that ballroom and it's like, oh, hi, there's like 10 of us. Hello. 
Uh, and I worried that would be nerve wracking. And it wasn't. Everybody was super cool. I told a friend that I felt like Norm from Cheers. Every time I walked in a room, people made me feel as welcome as humanly possible. And it was just really neat to hang out with people. And I can't, I, I'll never miss it from, from now to the rest of time. If I can make it to First Pitch Arizona, I will be there. And so hopefully I'll get to see you again. Absolutely. I will be there. I got a whole Palazzo crew I'm bringing with me this year with uh, me and Sam. I got some newcomers on the show that have come along. You know, my longtime partner, Deary, he moved on this season. So we've uh, brought in some new blood and we're all going to roll into first pitch Arizona the first week of November. We'll see you. And it, it really is that cool. She's not exaggerating. When the first time I went, everybody was just as welcoming. And it's a really fun time to connect. If you're a baseball nerd, we used to love talking baseball and getting different perspectives, have a few laughs and get to see, you know, prospects in the Arizona Fall League. That's another added bonus. It's just nonstop. It's a really, really good time. And actually, if you sign up before July 31st, it's cheaper than if you sign up after that time. So it's a good time to go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up and make sure you come out there first week in November. Yeah, pro tip, sign up early, take advantage of the discounts. And also, uh, if you're staying at the hotel, get your reservations now because that hotel fills up real fast. And I already have my reservation and I am looking forward to spending some time in Arizona with all my favorite fantasy folk um, at the start of November. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the many moves and teams and things that are going on here. We have a ton to jump into here, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll with it. We are one week away from the trade deadline. It's one of like three times of the year that like radically upends what fantasy baseball looks like. Players move leagues, they move divisions, they change roles. All sorts of stuff is going on. And in addition to that, we have all the regular injury updates that we got to talk through. So we're going to try to plow through these injury updates pretty quick and then get into the trade deadline. But um, let's just start with the D-backs. Merrill Kelly is about to be activated. And thank God for the Diamondbacks, because as far as I can tell, looking at their stuff on roster resource, they basically have been rolling with two starters and some guys who aspire to be starters. (laughs) That is Excellent way to describe it. I would absolutely agree with that. I'd look at this same page myself, and I wonder how they've been able to stay afloat. In fact, you know, every week uh, on FTNFantasy.com, I write my groovy with Govier, which is just a fantasy baseball roundup. So we cover injuries and really anything that's of import that you need to know about. And I looked at that same page of that pitching rotation. And that's why I thought the D-backs would slide in the second half. I thought the Marlins would slide. I thought all these teams that were really, really fun, the Reds, D-backs, and Marlins would all slip just because that's how baseball goes sometimes. It's It sucks that way. But Merrill Kelly is someone they absolutely need, and he's going to be viable, and I look forward to his return. He's definitely going to be somebody that you can count on. He's not overly dominant, but he's a veteran, savvy pitcher that has improved his K rate a little bit, too, over the last two years. So uh, I'm all about it. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, talking about another guy that I'm kind of all about right now, and I think I have him in Glarf, which was more a move out of desperation and my inability to win fab bids there than anything else. But uh, the Braves picked up Yanni Torinos off the waiver wire. They also picked up Pierce Johnson. I like the Torinos pickup. He kind of plugs into that Soroka spot, that spot that like Allard before he hit the 60 DIL was trying to fight for. They're going to get Max Freed back, but Torinos should still have a job until they get Kyle right back. And I love this for Torinos and the Braves. Well, the Rays, they know how to get a lot out of their pitchers. So, you know, everyone's excited that Torinos is going to the Braves. Like, oh, they're going to get more out of him. I don't know how much more they will get out of him, but it definitely is a guy that you would think the Braves could tinker with and maybe maybe just improve Torinos' strikeout rate a little bit more. He That's his thing. He always kept low ratios when he was healthy. I mean, he had such massive injury issues, but he now 
would be more beneficial if he could if he could up that K rate. But that's something that's difficult to do in season. So I I think it'll he'll get me a guy that gets you some wins, maybe some quality starts, although he's more of a five inning guy, I feel like. But if he comes out as an after an opener as well, Torinos could be someone who is useful. And Glarf is brutal. I mean, I'm terrible at Glarf this year. The Great Lakes Area Roto Fantasy League, which is a part of Earth. And Sarah won last year, by the way, of course, which I'm sure she's told you on the show, hopefully more than once. And it has been a brutal season for fab pickups. And guys like Pierce Johnson have come and gone from my squad and been a waste of time, but had gotten saves despite terrible ratio. So I I bet the Braves, you know, Pierce Johnson struck out 58 guys in 39 innings, I think. So he showed he could miss bats. And the Braves can use him properly. He could be a really nice holds guy down the stretch for Atlanta. Yeah, Pierce Johnson's interesting in leagues that use holds for sure. I think I had him in Glarf for a hot minute because I was like doing the Daniel Bard, Pierce Johnson thing before that. All just like dust in the wind as closer <laughs> closer rolls in the Rockies. Don't forget Justin prone, Lawrence. You gotta bring him to that to dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I agree with you. The strikeout numbers there for Johnson are great. And he should, you know, he'll be decent in the back end of that Braves bullpen. I don't think he's going to get a lot of saves, though. So if you're in a saves only league, he's probably a cut. Uh, in Baltimore, Cedric Mullins is injured, and I really thought that was going to be guaranteed playing time for Aaron Hicks. I was super excited about it, and now Aaron Hicks is day-to-day. Uh, hopefully that is not serious. Anyone else you're looking at in Baltimore? Well, I mean, all the hits have been occupied. I mean, Colton Collister is a guy that everybody wanted to pick up. And then, you know, Jordan Westberg, he hasn't had enough playing time, and he's been borderline cuttable. I might have actually cut Westberg in uh, Tout Wars. I'm in the 12-team head-to-head points league in Tout Wars. And I was getting a little bit suspect for a 12-teamer, but I know Westberg's not an outfielder, but if he can move into a, a playing role here that's more consistent, that would be really helpful for Westberg. But other than that, I don't believe in Ryan O'Hearn and what he's done. It's amazing what they've been able to get out of him. And, I mean, Anthony Santander is a guy I would love to add to my team through a trade if I could because he's been on fire. But that's that's pretty much it. I, Adam Frazier... Guy, Jorge Mateo, the Ryan McKenna, these guys don't excite me as much as a Colton Kowser or an Austin Hayeswood. Yeah, I think Westberg is one of the only guys I was able to pick up in Glarf, and he is sitting on my bench right now because he just hasn't had consistent enough results or playing time. But I am hoping that might change going forward. The Red Sox are another team that like have three starting pitchers and somehow managed to continue to win baseball games. It's kind of miraculous to me. It looks like Whitlock and Hauk are both out until at least August. Is there even a guy to take these starts? I mean... They one of their starters is Brian Bayo, and he's on paternity leave. James Paxton just got off paternity leave. They're playing around with openers and bulk guys, and somehow still hanging around. Yeah, it's amazing what James Paxton's done this year. I, I love James. I love the Big Maple. When he was in his prime, he was a lot of fun. But he basically hasn't pitched since 2020. I mean, you look at his Fangrass page, it's or any stat page of his, it's not great. It's been a while. So it's incredible that he's gotten this much out of himself already this year. And I've just been waiting for the other shoe to drop with him. I really have, but he's still getting the job done. And I, meanwhile, I'm missing out on production. But yeah, I don't know where they turn to here because it's really thin. And there's a guy like Brandon Walter who's been up and down that I, I really like his arm, but... You know, they just sent him back down. So I don't know if he's going to come back up and they can use him as a starter or not. But other than that, it's pretty tough. Yeah, the Red Sox, like a handful of teams we're talking about here, are going to look to the trade market for starting pitchers. And I'm not sure what they're going to find there. Like I starting pitching seems to be the thing that everybody wants and nobody has. 
this season. Um, one team that does have starting pitching, though, is the Chicago Cubs, and they also just got Dansby Swanson back. He is rolling. That team looks like they are going to try to make a push to be buyers. They have four games here against the Cardinals uh, right after two games against the White Sox and one game against the Reds before the trade deadline. And they could really make a push in those games, although who who knows? They're rivalry games. It could be weird. Um, Nick Madrigal is getting closer. I don't know. I have no interest in Nick Madrigal in fantasy or in real baseball, but maybe somebody does. I literally wrote this in today's Grooving with Govier about Madrigal that – as soon as you get interested in him, he gets hurt. Like, as soon as he shows <laughs> signs of life, going back to 2020 even, I remember he slid into third base against the Brewers. I can I could see this moment as clear as day, and he got hurt. There was a lot of excitement about him in 2020, and that all went away. Every time he starts to produce, he gets hurt. I'm not making it up. Just check the record book. So I am not interested in Madrigal whatsoever. Uh, one other note about the Red Sox I wanted to backtrack on right yeah. quick is that Nick Pavetta has been really, really good. And he's someone that they can use after an opener. They're going to continue to use after openers. So that's a guy that helps their staff, essentially, just not in a traditional way. And I'm very, very pro Pavetta, the way he's been pitching right now. Although, you know, walks are a ticking time bomb with him. But, yeah, the the Cubs are they're only three games under 500 now. It's pretty wild that they've hung around. And I actually picked them to be a second-half charge team a couple weeks ago. Last year, they were... 35 and 57 or something like that at the break, and they had an above 500 record in the second half, even though the season was already toast. So I think David Ross is locked into something here, or untapped something at least, and he's ready to rock. So I like the Cubs to be good in the second half, which means they should make a move or two to improve their roster. There's three things going on with the Cubs here, and I swear we're not going to make this a Cubs show because I already host <laughs> another Cubs show. But uh, their second half schedule is weaker than their first half, the same as last year. And you're absolutely right. They had an above 500 record in the second half last year. They have a better team this year, and they'll probably do the same thing. They also are the only team in the NL Central with a positive run differential. Their run differential is plus 41. It is fourth in the National League overall. That is sneaky good. And the thing that the Cubs have that other teams do not have is starting pitching. They have four guys that they can rely on to give you six, seven plus innings. And are they big strikeout guys? Like, no, they're not. You're not looking to Marcus Stroman or Kyle Hendricks to get you a bunch of strikeouts. But what they do is pitch to contact. They throw six or seven innings. They give up three earned runs or less. And now that they have worked out the back end of that bullpen and they have a pretty decent combo with Julian Merriweather, Mark Leiter Jr. And Adbert Alzali, who I was calling as the closer early. That team is sneaky in a division where everybody is flawed. The Brewers can't hit the Red Sox. The Reds don't have pitching. Uh, the Cubs could charge, and it would not surprise anyone. Uh oh, the Brewers might be able to hit now. Sal Frelick's up. That's that's true. We're a, gonna talk about he that. can hit. He's gonna help. He's gonna help that team. I love him, but they also gonna get Brandon Woodruff back soon too. So it's gonna be really interesting. The, the Brewers will be fully loaded again, and the Cubs are gonna have all they can handle. Plus, the Brewers they have a lot of experience. They've been in this division fight now for the last. Four years at least. So it's going to be see, really, really exciting to see how that division plays out. But the Reds will falter. I'm sorry. I love the Reds. I love what I they've done, too. but they're going to falter. Our Reds are great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's talk about Sal Frelick for one second because I have him as like my big question mark down here for the Brewers. And I'm a huge fan. I, I actually drafted him in a couple of leagues with like my last spot this season and then, you know, had to drop him, whatever. Did not wind up getting him back in fab, but I really like him as a player. You're absolutely right about the Brewers pitching. The thing that's interesting when you compare this Brewers and Cubs roster, the Cubs haven't been in the postseason in a long time, but the dudes on their roster have. So like Dansby is a postseason dude. 
Cody Bellinger is a postseason dude. Like these dudes know how to play in the postseason. Jan Gomes has been in the World Series a couple of times. Like there's a bunch of guys there who are postseason guys, even though they didn't do it with the Cubs. That's a great point. David Ross obviously has a lot of postseason experience as a player, and he hopefully can unlock what those guys got out of their experiences and share it with the rest of the club. That is a really, really good point. So, you know, it's not about what you've done as a team. Maybe sometimes it's about going on that journey for the first time, and maybe the Cubs could do that. I really I really like what they've got talent-wise. Justin Steele is a dominant starting pitcher. He's the one guy who can get a lot of whiffs. He absolutely can. And my uh, Cody Bellinger, by the way, uh, he's a bizarre case right now. A guy who is just absolutely over the last month, he's got like a ridiculous 436 batting average over the last month. But his 452. Heart- 452. It's right. 452 in July. I only know this because I dropped a Bellinger piece yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going back to June 24th. He started a 13-game hitting streak that day that ended in July, and then he still has a hard hit rate of 30%, though. Like, he doesn't hit the ball hard. So it's about this stat cast versus results uh, battle that is an ongoing battle, it seems like, between different facets or, you know, factions, I guess, of the fantasy baseball and baseball industry as a whole. So, I I mean, results are results, but will... Is it a good time to sell Bellinger in fantasy baseball? I think maybe it might be, but I, I don't know. The shift is gone, and if you just put the ball in play and you make a lot of contact all the time, you can still get base hits. It might be a good time to sell Cody Bellinger in real-life baseball. I mean, the, the thing that – <laughs> and I'm sure this is vexing Jed Hoyer right now, and honestly, I'm here for things that vex Jed Hoyer. So I, I'm, I'm sure this is a conversation at the corner of Clark and Addison, but, like, Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman are arguably the two – biggest potential names out there at the trade deadline that are not Shohei Otani. And it doesn't look like the Angels are going to deal Shohei Otani. So the Cubs could sit in the catbird seat and trade the two biggest guys for the two biggest hauls. Everybody wants a left field power bat. Everybody wants a starting pitcher. The Cubs have both of them. Or they could do what we were just talking about, try to win out. It's going to be fascinating to watch. The thing about Bellinger, and I will direct people to that piece. It's over at Bleed Cubby Blue. It's called The Curious Case of Cody Bellinger's Rebound. You're absolutely right. The barrel rate is the worst of his career. The hard hit rate is the worst of his career. And by a lot, like this is like 7% lower than he's ever had. Even in those terrible Cody Bellinger seasons, he was hitting the ball harder. The only thing that Cody Bellinger is doing right now that tracks with his best seasons is he's striking out less. He's striking out at a 16.9% rate, which is in line with his MVP season. It's in line with his 2018 season. And he's putting the ball in play. And because he sells out for pull side power, like he hits the ball to all fields, but he's really a power pull side guy. He's no longer worried that those singles are going to get eaten up. And so he just sells out for pull side power. And even when he's not hitting the ball very hard, he is making a ton of contact. His BABIP this season is 338, which is higher than his MVP season when it was 302 and higher than his career mark. And I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I can't figure it out. I am right there with you. It is quite baffling. I, I didn't try to make a final ruling because I wrote about him in today's Groom with Govier as well at ftnfantasy.com. And I, I was like, I don't have the answer here. I'm just giving you guys the stats. You guys make your own final judgments as fantasy managers. But to wrap this up with Sal Freilich, I'm all about Freilich. I wish I had more shares of him. You know, he got hurt with that thumb injury when he probably would have been called up back in late May, early June after Garrett Mitchell was lost for the year and Joey, you know, Joey Weimer got the call first and then Freilich was going to get his chance, but he got delayed. But he's here now and I, I just... 
This guy knows how to hit. He's not a superpower hitter, but he knows how to make good contact, and he's just a really good baseball player right off the bat. He's ready to go. He's one like one of those guys that shows up and is like, okay, I know how to play this game. Kind of like, eh, maybe not like uh, Edouard Julien, but maybe kind of like that. Like, hey, I, I just know how to do this. This is the thing I could do. So I'm all about Freilich, and you all should be too if he's available in your league. Absolutely. Uh, you think he's good in 12-teamers or 10-teamers, or you think in just 15s? I, I cut it off at 12 for now, but I, I wouldn't argue, I mean, depending on your roster context in a 10-teamer, I wouldn't. Awesome. The NL Central is very interesting, as evidenced by the fact that we just spent a lot of time there. The AL Central is less interesting, and the White Sox are definitely selling. They are getting a ton of guys back from the IL just in time to trade them. Yoan Moncada, Clevenger, Liam Hendricks. Uh, can, like, they're... The White Sox are just selling anything that's not nailed down, right? Like everybody who's not named Luis Robert and maybe Dylan Cease, probably getting dealt. <laughs> yeah, you know, we all ripped on Tony LaRusso a lot. We did. And some of it, yeah, some Damn. of it with good reason. Some of it with good reason, but, you know, hindsight now, it looks like it wasn't all his fault. He actually took this team two years ago. They were in the playoffs, not the 2020 shortened Bozo season either. 2021, they made the playoffs. They won this division. And then last year, they finished 500. That's not what they are now compared to those last two seasons. You would take that, I think. So, yeah, everybody's available. It's the same old story. The North Side's getting all the love in Chicago. The South Side's an afterthought. And, you know, Giolito to the Dodgers would be a dream. I love Giolito. I, I was really excited about him this year for a bounce back. And if he could finish with the team like the Dodgers, oh, that would be great. I would be all for that. But, yeah, everybody is for sale, and rightfully so. Except maybe Kopik. Yep. I think Kopik stays, too. I think they still like him, and they're still developing him. But, yeah, everybody else that you mentioned outside of those two guys, yeah. Yeah, it's a great call on Kopech. Um, let's head back to the NL for a second. The Reds brought up Christian Encarnacion Strand. The Reds are so fun. I, if the if it can't be the Cubs, I want it to be the Reds because, frankly, I enjoy cheering for this team. Ellie De La Cruz is a cheat code, and Matt McLean is honestly so amazingly good that it's kind of a shame that he's being overshadowed by Ellie De La Cruz. Nick Senzel, however, is sitting a lot more. Uh, I feel like Nick Senzel has to be a cut in almost every format except maybe an NL-only format. And they activated Kevin Newman for hashtag reasons, but thankfully he has not played yet. (laughs) The trade deadline is going to be interesting for the Reds. I know they have stingy ownership. I think the uh, the Castellinis, they're very uptight and, you know, it was a couple years ago, the guy made all four remarks to start the year, and everybody hated it. But now it's glory days because of what they've been able to do this season. And yeah, I think Matt McClain, I don't think it's a debate. Right now, Matt McClain is a more valuable redraft fantasy asset than Ellie De La Cruz. Right now, redraft, not dynasty. But Matt McClain is performing in all cats. I love that dude. Nick Senzel might actually be useful here, though. So I actually would tell you to maybe pump the brakes on dumping him. You know, he hit a home run a couple days ago. I know it's sporadic playing time, but if Jonathan India moves, Senzel could return and be a part of things. But at the same time, maybe he gets shipped out too. It's Someone's going to go here, even if it's not a huge deal. Now, I love Jonathan India so much, so I really hope do. he stays in that ballpark, especially for my uh, keeper league because I was kind of banking on that, that he would be a red for a long time. But now he's kind of the guy they're looking as the odd man out, which I think is a mistake. But, hey, I don't run the red, so it's not up to me. But... I would just kind of be a little more patient here to see how the deadline serves the Reds for Senzel and some of these other fringe guys and the lack of clarity with what will happen in a week. 
That's a great call on Senzel. Maybe hold him until you know what how this roster is going to shake out. Holding him for a week isn't that big of a deal. Um, let's talk about Cleveland for a second. Shane Bieber is on the 60-day IL. He is out until September. That's a drop, right? Like, you can't hold on to Shane Bieber while you wait out till September. And I can't even believe I'm saying that with where starting pitching is these days, but you're going to hold a guy till September? Well, if he can't pitch at all, then he's not useful whatsoever. So I agree with you. Bye-bye. See you, Shane Bieber. It's very sad. Uh, let all these rookies grow in this rotation. And they got a lot of incredible pitchers. In fact, you know, Logan Allen, Tanner Beebe, and Gavin Williams. And I think Logan Allen right now is two out of three. I think I'm actually ranking Beebe, then at Logan Allen, then Gavin Williams right now for redraft purposes. But yeah, Shane Bieber, goodbye. Sorry. A team that is looking to get a bunch of guys back and definitely buying is the Houston Astros. They're getting Jordan Alvarez back, who is probably the greatest hitter in baseball. Uh, Jose Altuve is coming back. Jose Urquidy is coming back. And the Astros are looking to charge. Anything you're interested in here in terms of guys who might lose some playing time, guys you were hanging on to? I mean, I am a pretty big Corey Jolts, Chaz McCormick person, and I think both of those dudes might be in some trouble. I... uh. Again, in t my article today, Groove with Gobia. I keep bringing it up because I wrote <laughs> about it, this stuff. Do it. So Chaz McCormick is a guy that I'm still totally in on. Last night, we're like recording this on a Tuesday. Monster game. Home run, six RBI. When Yoranon comes back, Chaz is not going to be influenced in a negative way. I think jokes will be sacrificed first because Chaz has been with this team. He's got the first right refusal, if you will. I am more... Uh, I guess solidified in my McCormick stance because he's been hot too. Of course, they don't want to they don't want to bench a hot bat either. But Jokes will be the guy who suffers first. But then it could change because that's baseball. You know, you go hot, you go cold. That's the game of a hitter. That's the life every day. So right now McCormick, but it could be different in two weeks. <laughs> It could. Baseball comes at you fast, just like life. Uh, speaking of a place where baseball is coming at you fast, Miami is a surprising team. They have done most of it without Jazz Chisholm, and he is still not hitting as of the 21st of July. I haven't heard any new updates there. If you have, definitely let me know. But the guy that's jumping out at me on roster resource is John Birdie, who has been on a bit of a tear the week I chose to sit him. Any interest in Birdie at the moment? When he goes on tears, he kind of do does this thing where you get like 30 stolen bases in a week and a half, and then he does nothing. <laughs> yeah, remember last year, it was legendary. I mean, it was crazy. He didn't even qualify technically end of season. So when you look at 2022 stats, end of season, you have to put all players, not just qualified hitters, and then his 41 steals show up. And that's, that's how impressive he was with his steal run last year. It's one of the all-time runs that I could ever remember in fantasy baseball. So if he's getting more playing time, and he is, he's more frequently in the lineup, and he's going to steal bases, yeah, I made some ad for Birdie last weekend. I didn't really secure any of him, but I definitely tried. You know, cheap ads, just a couple bucks here and there where I could. But I'm, yeah, I'm down. I'm definitely down. Jazz Chisholm's a guy that's... A, I hate to say afterthought, but right now, for redraft purposes and where you're going and what you're focusing on right now, try to close out a league championship. Unfortunately, Jazz has to be pushed off to the side. He's just too brittle right now. He's too beat up, and you can't trust him. And I hate to say that because he's one of the most exciting players when he's healthy, but, you know, this is the real world. Plus, the Marlins are going to fall apart anyway, so I don't know what that's going to mean for them with the trade deadline, but there could be some other players on the move as well.
Let's uh, stay with the Marlins for one second, because one of the few fab bids I won in TGFBI, admittedly, not in Glarf, uh, is Yuri Perez this season. And he was nails for me until the Marlins decided inexplicably to give him the Strasburg treatment, which is absolutely killing me at the moment. What are you doing with Yuri Perez, Govier? Please don't tell me I have to drop him. Well, I, sorry, Sarah, but <laughs> I actually traded him over the weekend in my home league, my 14-team head-to-head, because... I need to win now. I'm, I'm the two seed, and I just don't – I didn't think I could rely on him. And this is a keeper league. We keep six players. It's not a ton, Ooh. but that's enough. Yeah, where he would be in consideration. But I was able to get Brandon Woodruff, and I felt I could trust Brandon Woodruff more down the stretch than I could Yuri Perez. So that's – you know, that context of my roster mattered. But I I was pro big time, Sarah. Yuri was going to be brought back for the head-to-head playoffs and be a huge part of that you know, winning possibility, but I've changed my tune on that. Now you got to be willing to change your tune when you see information that tells you otherwise. And right now the Marlins are slipping and they might say, you know what? We don't need to waste Yuri this year. We're not going to be there come September. So we might have to just pull the plug on him. He might get a couple starts or he might be a reliever down the stretch. I'm very disappointed to say that, Sarah, but that's how I feel now. That is painful. I think you are right though. And I'm, I'm honestly furious about it. It's so weird to think that the Marlins need starting pitching when they started the season by dealing Pablo Lopez and it's like, what is going on here? Yet they need starting pitching because their best pitcher is in double A doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Braxton Garrett's been a revelation. That's been great this year. And Sandy, uh, Sandy Alcantara has been a mess. Unfortunately, I love Sandy. He's one of my favorite players in MLB, but yeah, you're right. It is kind of strange how it's come to be this way right now. Absolutely. Uh, the Mets got Jose Quintana back. I was early in on Quintana. I think that in a, at a time where you need starting pitching, that is a dude who is just below average, who's going to get you some innings. He's going to get you some wins and like, just, just set him and forget it. As long as he is healthy. Vientos is also back up and actually DHing. like he's he, now I can't tell if this is real or not because it was both lefty starts. So it's possible that Vientos is on the short side of a platoon here. So don't get too excited, but maybe the Mets actually play Vientos this time. Any interest in Quintana or Vientos? Yeah. If you're in need of a starter, you take a flyer on Quintana. I, I thought he overachieved with some of the stuff he did lately, especially with the Cardinals that blew me away. I was like, wow. Okay. Well, that's still happening, but he did it with the cards and the pirates and he showed life. So kudos to him. If he's healthy, I guess he should be useful. And then, you know, Ventos has a lot of power, he could really crank the ball. But again, like you just said, is it a platoon situation? The Mets are desperate right now. I still believe that the Mets believe that they can make a run here. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they could flip the script over the last two months here. So that means whoever could produce right now will flourish. And if you know Ventos could show that he can flourish right now, he'll play. But that's like a 50-50 shot. Yep, I... Francisco Alvarez made them play him earlier this season. It took a bunch of injuries for him to do it, but he did make them play him. And Mark Vientos has the exact same shot. I just don't know if it's going to all line up for him. And I'm just, the Mets are Metsing, like they always Mets. Uh, let's, we already talked about the Brewers. Let's finish up this portion of the show with the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been surprisingly struggling a bit after a really hot start. They have called up the Dal Brujan yet again. At this point, Bruhan feels like a post, 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 post type sleeper to me. But honestly, I've always liked Bruhan and I've been waiting for him to seal 20 bags in Major League Baseball. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're, I, I mean, I don't know what you're seeing. I, I don't see it. I, I wish it would go that way. I wish it could be a fun player. But Bruhan hasn't shown me that he could be 
at least a three-category guy even. It's just really frustrating. Taylor Walls basically usurped Bruhan. They gave Walls more opportunity because he was producing more than Bruhan was. And I think that says it all. But, yeah, you know, Taylor Walls hit the IL, so there's an opportunity for Bruhan. And they're also, you know, the Rays are 4-14 and 14 in July. It's a nightmare. I mean, they've all the dominance they had to start the year has gone out the window because they've been so putrid in July. It's really frustrating. But will Bruhan be... A part of writing that ship come August? I, I don't know. I really doubt it. I, I have my doubts there. I'm sorry. I have my doubts too. And also, <laughs> if I can get Bruhan for like $2 in fab, I might do it. Because he was one of those dudes who was supposed to be a dude. Walls is on the IL. Like, I can like squint and see it. I can squint and see it is what I'm trying to say. We That's are fair. here today to talk trade deadline, though. Last week, Joe Shannon and I covered things like roles, park effects, broader team context. However, we are one week away from the trade deadline. And so today we're going to take a closer look at who is buying, who's on the fence, who's selling, and what we can do this week to save us fab money next week after all these moves have been made and the dust has settled. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. So stay tuned. On the flip side, we'll be talking trade deadline. And we're back. So we're going to do this two ways. We're going to talk about some specific players. We're going to talk about some team context. Uh, last week, uh, Joe and I went through like the first uh, 12 players from MLB um, trade rumors lists on the most tradable candidates. Uh, we're going to get, try to get through the last 13 of those. But let's talk about some teams first. And this has two components to it. I've got the teams that I thought were buyers, and it happens to line up really well with an article that came out about three hours ago from Jim Bowden over at The Athletic um, on who he thought were buyers. So like, we'll just like stipulate that this is my initial thoughts plus Jim Bowden's thoughts, which are much more informed than mine. I'm just looking at like some standings and stuff. He's talking to front office types. The buyers in the American League look like the Orioles, the Rays, the Jays, the Twins, the Rangers, and the Astros. And I just have to note that like 90% of these teams want a starting pitcher. And I just don't think there's enough starting pitching on the market for this to happen. So what do you see from these teams in the buyers list? Anything super interesting there? It's interesting. I, I like this list. I, I think I would add the guardians. I know they're two games out of 500, but their offense has been so bad and they have so much pitching. And I've always thought this all year. I thought that the Orioles and the guardians were destined to make a trade. I, me and my pal, Ben Chase, who's my prospects guru over at Palazzo podcast. We've been saying since May, these two need to get together and make a deal. They've both got a overabundance of one thing. The Guardians have a lot of starting pitching, and there's a glut of position players and outfielders over in Baltimore. Put it together and benefit both squads, make a deal, and make both of these teams better than they are the previous day. I really think that's a great combo. Yeah, those two teams match up pretty nicely. And the Guardians, for the record, I have on the fence uh, they claim they are sellers in the Bowden article, so you're absolutely right that they think that they're they're or uh, no, the Guardians claim they are buyers. Sorry, yeah. they claim they are buyers, um, and I I agree with you. I think that that's a situation where kind of like the Cubs, it's like yeah, you're out of it. You don't have a winning record, but you can squint and see it. You're in a really weak division, and the Guardians are a team that has been able to put together a run at the division and then get to the postseason and make stuff happen, right? They've got Tito Francona over there. The man knows how to manage a postseason team. They've got a bunch of dudes who are veterans who have been there before. It's a team that can punch above its weight in October. Exactly. And last year, 
You know, if you go back to the post All Star break, they crushed it second half. They were they were basically the exact same record wise at the All Star break in 2022, and then they turned it on. Now I haven't quite turned it on yet, but I still expect that they can. They got a run differential of minus three, so it's not that far off. If the offense could just, I mean, it's been all pitching this year. Their offense has been so bad, despite Josh Naylor having like a breakout season. He's been awesome. And Jose Ramirez basically being himself. There's just not been anybody else to help that offense. So I really feel you bring in uh, Anthony Santander for, uh, I don't know, Logan Allen or Gavin Williams. I think that's a trade that benefits both squads. That's why I see it that way. But, yeah, the starting pitching buyers are glutted up here in a big, big way. And I think there's going to be a wild card team that comes in that really – separates one of these buyers from the other. I don't know who that is yet, though. It's it's so mysterious and complicated right now with how tight some of these races are, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with the whole who's buying, who's selling trade deadline um, debates going on right now is that with the additional wildcard spots, so many more teams have a hope. Right. Like they can they can look at this moment in time and say, I actually think we're buyers. I don't think we're sellers. I can see a path to pull in a Phillies. Like I can see a way to get the last wild card spot and then just go on a run and see what happens. I mean, we're talking about that with the Cubs. We're talking about that with the Guardians. We're talking about that a little bit with the Brewers, like looking at some of these teams that are a little flawed. But in baseball, all you have to do is get into the postseason and be hot. We know this from like, what was it? The 2006, 2007 Cardinals, like the worst postseason team of all time to win the world oh, series. Oh God. Yeah. I know. Sorry. I, my Tigers played them in 2006. So I know all about that in the world series. They, they were terrible. I think they won 83 games. They won the world series against the Tigers. Cause all of our starting pitchers decided to throw the ball over the first baseman's head on weak bunts. So, yeah. Yeah, That's I'm a Cubs fan, Govier. We can we can talk about the Cardinals. Maybe we'll do that in the offseason. We'll just talk about our worst Cardinals memories. <laughs> let's, let's talk it out. Let's have a good cry and move forward finally. I can't live with this anymore. St. Louis Cardinals therapy. At least the Cardinals. I mean, let's talk about the Cardinals for a second because the Cardinals are in a group of teams that are definitely selling. John Mozalek has come out and said they were selling. Bob Nightingale claims that Wilson Contreras is on the trade block, which like, I'm sorry, your big free agent acquisition who you just gave five years, 80, whatever million dollars to is on the trade block. That is laughable. And I am here for the Cardinals and laughing at the Cardinals all day long. But also I can't imagine they are going to find anyone who's going to take that contract unless they're planning on paying someone $40 million to take Wilson Contreras off their hands. Uh, Who knows? That would be good karma for the time they got $50 million from the Rockies to take Nolan Arenado. In this sellers group, we have the Rockies who claim they have, quote unquote, few untouchables, according to the Baden article. The Pirates, who basically everybody is on the table who is not named O'Neill Cruz. The Cardinals, uh, the Nationals, who are trading pretty much everybody except like C.J. Abrams, some of the young kids. You know, they've got Lane Thomas. They've got J. Mark Candelario, Joey Manessas, a couple of bullpen arms who are interesting. There's not a lot in this sellers list that is great. What is interesting to me about the trade deadline this year is that the teams who are on the fence have the biggest pieces to move. And so we're going to find out a lot in the next week about whether any of those on the fence teams become sellers or buyers. Isn't there a part of you, though, that it still worries that the Cardinals will make this run? Because that's what they do. Like, I, I've always. been thinking that still, even though they're 12 always. games under, 10 games. Yeah, I I never put it past him, even though their season has just been a, for them, for the Cardinals, with Holly Marmel, and there's been a lot of 
player strife. They had the whole Wilson Contreras thing that happened where they they took him out of catching. He's like, he can't catch anymore. And they had the thing with Tyler O'Neill, and that's been ongoing. It's been a real mess, but they still freak me out a little bit. But you're right. This is... Uh, Can we know, agree I, I that Wilson Contreras and Tyler O'Neill have a DM going somewhere that is just the most <laughs> epic series of texts of all times? Absolutely. 100%. There's no doubt about it. That is happening. And if it's not happening, it should be happening. But it most likely is because they're human beings and they've got a vent. It's a long season. It's a long grind. But the Nationals, you know, they're not that bad, even though their record's kind of garbage. They got some, they got a lot of talent. And I'm wondering if the Nationals see themselves as like getting ready to roll next year and the year after. Like, we're close. Like, we got a lot of new, fresh talent. And, you know, they sold the team, right? So that's... That's part of like this revamp here. It's time to move on. It's time to be something more. And maybe they don't want to move a Lane Thomas. I mean, Candelario to me is, you know, we both have experience with him as a Cub and a Tiger. He never really gives you what you think he'll give you. But he's been pretty decent this year. I'll give him that. But that's a minor trade chip. The Pirates have some guys that would be, you know, Bednar would be nice for a team in the bullpen. He's a legit top-notch closer, in my opinion, on a really te- a team that's been disappointing for the last forever really since uh the mccutcheon days the heydays of the mccutcheon pirate days but yeah i i don't know if these nl sellers really can make a difference for a team unless they really want to give up a piece that matters like all the names that we have here listed they don't blow my mind like kyle finnegan is a guy who somehow gets saved still but his ratios freak me out i don't trust him and i would not be trusting him if i was a team that was trying to close out in contention I could not agree with you more. Sorry for the uh, for the pause here. We are, we're getting breaking news on the podcast, which is always a fun thing to do. Um, it looks like the Boston Red Sox and Los Angeles Dodgers are finalizing a trade that would send Kike Hernandez to the Dodgers. Uh, and it is unclear to me what the components of this trade are, except that Trevor Story looks like he's about to come back. And so they are filling that sort of shortstop second base role with Christian Arroyo and Trevor Story. They're going to send Kike back to a place where he had a much, I don't know, kind of a storied role. Like he was really good for those Dodgers team. It was a great environment for him. The Dodgers could use that. Chris Taylor hasn't really been that dude. What do you think about Kike Hernandez to the Dodgers? Yeah, that doesn't blow my hair back, but. You're right. It is a place where he had a lot of clutch hits, and he seemed to come up in important times. The Dodgers really knew how to play him and not play him. You know, the Dodgers manipulated lineups to the max. That's always been their thing with their front office. And they seem to have the playing card mastered with old Enrique. So, I I don't know. It doesn't blow my mind, but I guess uh, if they see him as somebody who could help out their offense and as, you know, a jack-of-all-trades type player he is, then... Great. He's a good role player to bring back into the clubhouse. Maybe they miss his presence and they feel like they need him there. Now that, uh, you know, some of the other players have moved on, you know, not everybody's always the the Dodgers had some changes this year, right? They kind of had a different look. I thought they'd take a step back this year, but they haven't. So it looks like uh, all hands on deck. We're bringing everybody back. Get the band back together in L.A. Well, you know what's interesting about this to me, and I say this as a person who has Kike in a handful of leagues, and he's obviously been really struggling this season. I have felt for a while now that his struggles come from the stem partially from the fact that he's been playing shortstop in Boston, and he's an abysmal shortstop. And he knows it, which is hurting him offensively. Like, it's making him a worse player to play out of position every single day and to be the guy who is making air after air after air at shortstop for a team 
that is trying to win. And so I honestly think this is a great potential move for a Hernandez rebound. Like I probably will hold Hernandez for a couple of more weeks now rather than have him as the guy I might drop for some other players just to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we forget he's had two 20 homer seasons, which kind of blows my mind when I look at his stat page. One happened with the Dodgers, one happened with the Red Sox his first year. But it seems like, yes, ever since his first season with the Red Sox and he's been put in situations he didn't want to be in, he has regressed. Is he done? Is he is he toast as a player? I, I don't think that's the case. He's 31. He'll be 32 next month in August. There's still something left. I think the Dodgers are smart enough to know that. Yeah, interesting stuff. Love seeing early moves while we're recording the trade deadline yeah! podcast. That's Woo! always fun times. Like as good as it gets for a fantasy baseball podcast. Let's talk <laughs> about some National League buyers. These are the teams who are definitely going to buy. The Atlanta Braves are out of their mind right now. Like I just I look at this team. I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to have like a 40-70 season for the first time in MLB history. And the Braves are just going to roll. Uh, we talked about the Miami Bar- Marlins. They are definitely going to buy. The Phillies would like a left fielder and a starting pitcher. The Brewers say they will be cautious and look more to their minor league system for promotions. The Reds need starting pitchers, but the Dodgers need starting pitchers. The Diamondbacks need starting pitchers and bullpen arms. Anything interesting in this group of buyers? Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. This is where it gets intense. We're looking at some teams that are really rocking and rolling here, and they want to win a World Series. Uh, I I think the Marlins, I think the Marlins need to sell, but they might try to make a small move. You know, I, I could see why they want to do that. They're still not totally out of it. I get it, but I just, I'm looking big picture. If I was the, if I was running the Marlins, right, I would say, of course, we got to try to win. I get that, but I'm just looking outside. It's a little bit more obvious to me. But the Phillies, you know, they went to a World Series last year and they're hanging around doing their thing right now. And Dave Dombrowski, my former GM and president of my Bozo Tigers, you know, he knows how to acquire pieces. He knows how to make big deals. So I expect the Phillies will do something here for sure. I think they need another starting pitcher like a lot of teams. But uh, I think they could also upgrade their defense a bit. You know, if they could add a guy who could be a utility player, who could play a lot of positions and give them quality defense. I think that would help the Phillies and maybe help their pitching staff as well. But yeah, the Dodgers will do something. I think the D-backs should be sellers. I know they'll probably try to make a move. They really impressed themselves this year. I mean, two years ago, they were a 100-loss team, right? And now they're trying to compete for a playoff run. So I respect that. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the real wild card of these buyers is the Giants. What would the Giants do? To me, Farhan Zaidi is one of the most intelligent forward-thinking presidents or runners of a team in MLB. And I know he's not just going to sit on his hands and wonder, well, hey, you know, maybe we'll just luck out. That's not what he's going to do at all. He's got a plan. He's locked in. And I still wonder if Shohei Otani could end up on the Giants by the trade deadline. That's a really interesting call out. And the Shohei Otani sweepstakes are so fascinating to me because, one, you're trading for two players in one. So, like, yes, it's two months of Shohei Otani, but he addresses your starting pitching needs. He also gives you like the best bat in your division. And he's, he's that dude. It's the most, inc- it's, it's like watching a kid play little league. It's the most fun thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And the giants are one of the teams that wants to sign Shohei in the off season, but they're probably a bit behind the eight ball in terms of like the Dodgers or the Yankees or one of these marquee names that is always in contention and so if you're the Giants and you can get Shohei there early, you can show him what you got. You can like ensconce him a little bit in Giants culture and show him how San Francisco will embrace him. I think you have a better shot at re-signing him than if you wait until the offseason. 
Yes. You see, we're speaking the same language here. To me, you want to get him in now because he's not like any other player for a lot of reasons. But one of them is just his routine and all of the... Uh, he, he's not high maintenance, but he kind of is in a way, not in a bad way. It's just he does so much for you. He requires a lot of scheduling and logistical organization on the part Which of the Kate team. Which Kapler loves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's this is a – I would love to see Otani rip bombs into McCovey Cove. You know, Barry Bonds, whatever he was and whatever he became, you know, he's a left-handed power hitter who crushed it, and he had a lot of fun in that ballpark, and I think – Otani could have just as much fun crushing bombs over the right field fence into the bay. I would love to see that happen. I really would. And, you know, don't forget that the Giants tried and were close. I think closer than we realized to signing Aaron Judge to a big old contract in the offseason. It didn't quite work out. He stayed with the Yankees, but they definitely tried. They're willing to spend money. They're a big time organization with a lot of cash. I mean, they almost got Correa, too. The, the Giants have, like, yeah. money burning a hole in their pocket, and they are ready to, like, make that big deal. They are unlike your Tigers or my Cubs in the sense that they're like, no, we have $500 million and we would like to give it to one of the greatest players of our time. Uh, I would love that. Gosh, that would be so wonderful. Wouldn't it be great? Jed Hoyer is never going to do that. Let's talk about some of these teams who are on the fence because I think they're the most interesting ones of all. We already talked about the Guardians a little bit. The other teams in the AL who are on the fence, the Angels claim they are uh, buyers. I don't really see it, but we'll see what happens there. Like you said, anything can happen in the next seven days. The Mariners say they would like to buy and sell and that they're going to do smaller moves. And Jerry DePoto has never done anything small in his life. So I honestly don't know what this would look like. The Yankees are looking for a starting pitcher and a two-way left field left fielder. Like I just asked for like Cody Bellinger, Ian Happ. I don't even know. Like it felt like they were just like channeling Jed Hoyer with that whole thing. <laughs> what do you see from these teams in the AL who are on the fence? Yeah, the Yankees will definitely do something. They always will. They see themselves as really in the thick of it. It's a brutal race. I will say that. I feel bad for the Mariners and the Angels. I mean, the Mariners are 500 and the Angels... You know, I, a week ago, I was like, ah, it looks like it's finally falling apart. But the Angels are two games over again, and they do have a plus run differential. The Angels have a plus 18 run differential. That's it's amazing that AL West has four teams with plus run differentials. I mean, Oakland's obviously the nightmare, but all four of those teams, Texas, Houston, the Angels, and Seattle, it's a challenge. So we all talk about how tough the AL East is, but that AL West and the AL East, they're the Absolute cream of the league with the AL Central, just the leftover crap. You know, my Tigers and the White Sox and Kansas City getting absolutely reamed. And I wonder if one of these teams that we're looking at is, you know, not clear-cut buyers, but kind of like, hey, are we in this or not? You know, when you're that close and it's not that far off, and with the wild card now, and we have more playoff spots than we've ever had before, Sarah, it really is not so much on the fence, but like, how much are we willing to give up here? I mean, how much are we willing to burn to make this run? Because it's just not that far off for these teams. I mean, the Guardians, the Angels, the Mariners, the Yankees, the Red Sox, they all are right there. And with a nice run, which is classic baseball, it can happen. Teams fall apart. Teams get hot. Baseball, more than any other league, in my opinion, is a game of months. You know, this July month will end, and then a new month of August will start. And there'll be teams that get hot. There'll be teams that get cold. It just happens. Look at each month by month across every season. There's always teams that go either way. So I really think that these teams are on the fence, but it's really about like how much are we willing to spend on the fence? Not so much that they feel they're out of it. I think they feel they can hang, but they can't all get in. That's, that's the problem. 
I think that's really well said. Let's talk about some sellers in the American League, and then we'll come. We'll finish up with the teams who are on the fence in the National League. Uh, sellers in the American League include the Oakland Athletics, the Kansas City Royals, who are already selling. Araldis Chapman is a Ranger. Um, the White Sox and the Tigers. I, I put a question mark on the Tigers because I can squint and see the Tigers making a run in the division, but also like I can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Very funny. You're, you're a comedian. It's a weak division. It's a weak division. It really is terrible. And the Tigers have been consistently like 10 games to eight games under. It's really weird. They just stay in that range. They'll never get better than that. But I know their owner very, very well. And he is a spoiled, rich, entitled baby. And I'm not just saying that. You can ask around. Trust me. You'll find pretty quickly that Chris Illich is always ready to sell. He wants to keep things cheap. He's a cheap guy. So... Erod's gone. Lorenzo's a joke, but Lorenzo's a fraud, by the way. They should trade him because what he's doing right now, I don't believe in it at all. So if somebody's willing to take him off their hands, great. Alex Lang, I always, I'm generally down to sell relievers. Like I love, they got a new guy here, right? The Tigers have Scott Harris. He's the new man in charge. He's the new GM president. Yeah, you know, reports former to Cub. Former Cubs, yeah. Scott Harris. Oh, former Cub, yeah. I didn't know that. I knew he was with he, the Giants. He was a, I didn't know yeah, that. he was a Cubs. He was one of the Cubs uh, front office guys before he went to the Giants. Oh, okay. Part well, of that a... 2014 to 2016 core period. Ooh, okay. Well, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I do think he knows what he's doing and he's trying his best. So he'll, if he sells Alex Lang and then Jason Foley becomes a closer, or if he sells both, that's fine. But they're totally going to sell in the end. I don't buy what's going on there. I am curious to see if a team is able to acquire Brady Singer. I wonder if the Royals look at themselves and say, you know, we got a whole new regime here. We've moved on from the championship run we had and how it kind of all really went to hell over the last couple of years here. Dayton Moore was a disaster, but they've got a new regime. So let's clean house. Is Brady Singer part of their future or do they see him as a guy that, you know, because Brady Singer, I think, could be a useful starter for a team. And I think a lot of teams be willing to acquire him. So I would really be curious to see what happens with Singer. And then with the A's, they'll probably sell anybody who's not um, less than 28 years old. Anybody who's 28 or older, everyone's got to go probably. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you bring up my, a couple of things you said there. Michael Lorenzen, I I just don't even see how he becomes a starter somewhere else. I, I honestly, I, I squint and I'm like, I remember when that dude was a red and I would never put him in a hitter friendly ballpark to throw more than three innings at a time. I like, agree. I just, I don't understand what's going on here. I've stayed away from him on the waiver wire. Godspeed to the team that trades for Michael Lorenzen. I hope Scott Harris can make it happen. Um, good luck. Uh, Brady Singer, I agree, is an interesting potential move. I think the most interesting note I saw in that Bowden article actually was that, um, Sal Perez is not going to be traded, that they're going to let him retire a Royal. And I love that for Royals fans. And I kind of hate that from a, like, you could get some prospects back for Sal Perez. Catchers who can hit, you know, all of our Wilson Contreras jokes earlier aside, catchers who can hit are rare. And if you can upgrade your offense by adding an actual plus bat at catcher, that's a huge thing for a team to do. And there are more than a handful of teams on this list who want to do that. That's a great call. I agree with that because I've seen it with Miggy. I mean, Miggy here, he's not even worth anything now, but Miguel Cabrera was just kept around and kept around because of what he was. And we just had, we've had to sit here and take it now. There's a lot of people around baseball look at Miguel Cabrera and they say, oh, he's a legend. And he is. He's a Hall of Famer, first ballot. I don't have any argument about that no doubt but i don't think he's that great of a clubhouse guy i mean he he's got a lot of stuff that is 
disappointing to say the least as a human being. I mean, we've all got our foibles. We've all made mistakes, but they've just had to let him be here. And I think it's actually stunted the growth of the newcomers like Spencer Torkelson or Riley Green. I'm not trying to make this all about the Tigers, but it just reminds me of if you could move on. I'm not saying Sal Perez is a bad guy at all. I'm just saying you let the guy deteriorate and just be a Royal because he won a world series. I love that. I, 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 you know, I'm a sentimental guy. I get that Sarah, but at the same time, new blood, new opportunity. And then you could get some legitimate returns on Sal Perez. Really feel like, Hey, it's not the personal sale. Thanks for what you did. You know, here's a, a lifetime access membership to everything Royals forever, but we're going to try to get something for you now. That's what I would do. It's a great call out. And honestly, like I say, this is the girl who is constantly on social media and lead cubby blue angry about the fact that the Cubs traded Anthony Rizzo because I think that he is going to make about as much from the Yankees as he would have made from the Cubs offer. And I feel like if the Cubs had added $15 million to that offer for like, you know, pride reasons and the fact that they he's Anthony Rizzo and he should have a statue someday, that is a dude you can build a clubhouse around. The Yankees have proven you can build a clubhouse around that dude. And I, I, I totally think that baseball has this element that is human and fan-based and emotion-based and we should respect that and also when you can get a guy for a guy sometimes you have to get a guy for a guy let's talk about the most interesting group of teams here in my opinion that is the teams who are on the fence in the nl and the reason i say that is these are the teams who have all of the best trade chips and are not sure they want to trade any of them the Chicago Cubs have Cody Bellinger. They have Marcus Stroman. They have Drew Smiley. They have Kyle Hendricks. They have a bunch of pitching, and everybody wants pitching, and that lefty power bat. The New York Mets have Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. They have Mark Canna. They have Tommy Pham. They have a lot of interesting dudes that they can move who are on one-year deals, and it would be easy for them, and they're not sure they're going to do that. And the San Diego Padres have the best lineup underperforming maybe of all time and i they've got josh Hader, they've got juan soto they've got a ton of guys that they could move who are on like the last year or two of their deal will they like these three teams i think are the most interesting part of the whole trade deadline it's bonkers san diego's got a plus 48 run differential and the diamondbacks who are Six games ahead of them have a plus seven now. It's just weird. It's all out of whack. And it's because of what you said. Padres have underperformed so greatly offensively. You got to think the last two months, this is how baseball works. Things turn around, things change. I bet the Padres are going to make a hell of a charge here. And they might end up coming up a little bit short. But also, A.J. Preller, the guy who's made all these moves, has spent a lot of money, a lot of the team's money. And his butt's on the line here, too. So I feel they're absolutely buyers just because Preller's pressure to win is going to force him to be like, I got to do whatever I can here. Time's running out. We really need to try to make this thing go here over the last two months. So I'm all about it. Padres being buyers for sure. Uh, the Cubs, if they could get a deal with the Mets, if Justin Verlander was a starting pitcher that could be added to the Cubs, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be pretty cool. But don't forget that both Scherzer and Verlander both have full no trade clauses. It's a great call out. Uh, we are going to go a tiny bit long today. Hopefully that is okay with our guest, <laughs> Michael Covier. Bye uh, bye me. I'm having a ball. Excellent. So we still have some players, some specific players to talk about and what their new context might be. We're going to take one more quick break for our sponsors and then we're going to jump into that. So last week, Joe Sheehan and I spent a bunch of time on the top 12 trade candidates from MLB trade rumors. We're going to do uh, try to get to about 25 here today. We're going to start with Lance Lynn. That's a starting pitcher. I just named about 15 teams who say they want a starting pitcher. What do you think about Lance Lynn's option? Like, he's moving. I think it's pretty clear he's moving. The question is, will he move into a better environment or a worse one? 
Oh, Lance Lynn. He has frustrated so many fantasy managers this year. But in real life, you know, he's a veteran starting pitcher. And whether you like him or not, he's still missing a fair amount of bats. Like his whiffing, his ability to miss bats is still real solid. 139 strikeouts in 115 innings pitched. The problem is that when people do make contact, it's really, really terrible. So, you know, two points, he's given up over two homers per nine on the season. But, you know, I still think on the right team, he could be maximized. And even though he gave up four homers in his last start against the Twins, <laughs> I was you know, I was just ready to, like, turn the corner on Lynn. But he's still giving up so many dongs that it's like, good Lord. they need. He needs to go to a ballpark and a team that can, like the Orioles, like, Right-handed hitters, I know left-handed hitters could really hit home runs at Camden, so maybe that's not a great example, but there's got to be a ballpark out there for Lynn where he can thrive and the homer won't be as dangerous, you know? What about a reunion with the Rangers? I feel like the Rangers and White Sox should match up here because if I'm the Rangers, I'm a little nervous about Nathan Evaldi. They're skipping his start this week because his velo's been down a little bit. Like, he has been an outstanding starting pitcher. I got him late in a bunch of drafts this year. He's been helping my fantasy teams all over the place. Thank you, Nathan Avaldi. And if you're the Rangers, you've got to be nervous that you don't really have another starting pitcher. And Lance Lynn's a dude who has been in your system before. I like it. That's a good call. You know, their park is a – their offense has been real solid this year, the Rangers has. But it's a pitcher's park, I think. I mean, that's what the park factors tell us about new Globe Life Field. And that's not – that's a good call. I like that. I like that if they cannot give up much either. And I don't think any team's going to have to give up too much to get Lynn – the way he's been playing either, right? I'm all for it. Yeah, the next guy on this list is Paul Blackburn, another just kind of like guy who's going to eat some innings for you, help you out on the starting rotation. He's probably not making your playoff rotation at all, but he could help out one of these teams who need starting pitching. And we were joking about some of these teams at the top who have like three active starters and are somehow making it work. What do you think about Paul Blackburn? Well, I love Paul Blackburn. He's got a lot of pitches he can use, and he's underrated. And, yes, he does take advantage of his home park in Oakland. That'd be a great place for Lynn to play, but there's no reason that Oakland would ever bring Lance Lynn in now, uh, the way they're tearing it down and moving away and destroying the fan base. But, you know, I think about Blackburn in a ballpark where the Rangers could use him. That would be great. And I look at that Rangers staff. You just kind of made me think about it. There's no way they can go in the playoffs with the staff they have now. Their Rangers staff is god-awful. It really is. Like (laughs) Dane Dunning, his peripheral, he's a fraud. He's a total fraud, unfortunately. It sucks, but it's true. And Martin Perez, what he did last year was incredible, but that was a fluke as well. You cannot go into a playoffs with Nathan Evaldi, John Gray, Andrew Heaney as your top three, with Dane Dunning and Martin Perez, maybe the fourth starter. I mean, that's just not going to cut it. So... The Rangers, absolutely, I think maybe more than any of these contending teams need a starting pitcher. So if Paul Blackburn would be traded within the division, that would be great for the Rangers to bring him aboard. I think he could really thrive in that park as well. I hate to piggyback off what you said, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Rangers need a starting pitcher. They absolutely, even if Nathan Evaldi is healthy and like ends up finishing the year the way Evaldi has finished so many years and we see him throw some like nine inning gem and the postseason like we did that time against the Dodgers, which to this day, I think that Nathan Evaldi coming in in relief and throwing like nine innings in an 18 inning game is one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen in the postseason. And I will die on this hill, even though it didn't work out for Nathan Evaldi. The next guy on this list is also a starting pitcher. And I think that a lot of teams could use him. Aaron Savali, the Cleveland Guardians are going to trade 
from their veteran rotation depth to restock their farm and rely on those young arms you were talking about before, even if they buy in other places. And Savali is a dude who teams could use. Yeah. You know, it's also amazing. Ivaldi outdueled Garrett Cole in that wild card game against the Yankees a couple years ago, too. And so the guy he's, is he's a, a clearly, postseason gem. Postseason yeah. gem. Yeah. So the Rangers are smart to keep him on ice as much as they can with the lead they have. But Savali being the guy they want to move, I think they would love to get Savali out the door. I just wonder if other teams would prefer one of their other pitchers. But yes, he is a veteran guy and. He's not overly dominant, but he can keep ratios down. He's the kind of guy to give you six innings, maybe give up three earned runs, give you a quality start, and keep you in a game as your fourth, your third or fourth starter, maybe in a playoff series, for sure, more of a fourth. But, yeah, why not? Let's see Savali as a guy that the Dodgers maximize. If they need another another pitcher, what about uh, the Red Sox even, too? The Red Sox say, you know, they need more pitching. Savali coming into Fenway. And pitching there, that's not a terrible deal. They don't have to give up a ton to get him either. God, I was just going to – I wish I had enough time to look up Savali's splits at Fenway because it seems like that's a place where he should pitch really well. It seems like a place that would be good for him, and I, I, I'm i just guessing on this. I don't have any numbers in front of me. It's possible that Savali always gets blown up in Fenway, and I hope Govier is looking <laughs> this up right now because I am not. But that's a great call-out because he's exactly the type of pitcher that the Red Sox need while they wait for Whitlock and Hauk and maybe even Chris Sale to come back. Absolutely. I'm up for it. Let's see what happens. Hey, I, can't, I love this trend deadline. I'm getting all excited. I feel like I'm Dick Vitale now. I got to like go off and say a bunch of crazy <laughs> things, but I won't do that. So. Next guy on the list is Paul DeYoung, who's had kind of a resurgent season with the Cardinals. Every time we're ready to write off, Paul DeYoung is like gone forever. Like he comes back. He's he's like one of those guys. He's, he's like a zombie, right? He's like one of those dudes in The Walking Dead. And it's funny because I actually think that on one of the first or second times I joined the Palazzo podcast, Paul DeYoung was one of my dudes that I was like, just stay away. <laughs> it's like, don't draft, <laughs> stay away. And yet here we are talking about Paul DeYoung being traded from the Cardinals to help out another team. What do you think of Paul DeYoung? Oh, boy. I I just have zero interest in DeYoung. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a veteran, I guess. But, like, he just whiffs. The guy whiffs so much. And he's so streaky that he could maybe actually win you, like, a a wild card game or heck even a division series possibly because he could get streaky like that. But on He's the opposite end, defense. decent defense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. You look at a guy who's been around and can play some decent defense. That's more of a replacement guy, like a deep bench guy. Like I, I can just think of a lot of the guys I'd rather acquire, but you know, if you're really, really on the cheap, like you said, like the Marlins or, or one of these teams that has no money that they don't want to spend it. And they just want to add somebody that try to make a run to make it look like they tried. Yeah. I guess DeYoung fits that role. I'm going to skip this Red Sox group because we have determined that the Red Sox are buyers and this uh, Kike Hernandez move sort of leads me to believe that the Red Sox are about to, to do some stuff. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to skip this group of Red Sox who could theoretically be available for the record. If the Red Sox collapse in the next week, Justin Turner, James Paxton, Nick Pavetta and Adam Duvall are all dudes who could potentially be on the move, but I don't think they will be. Next guy on the list is CJ Crone who gives you a potential power bat at first base. And I think we forget about CJ Crone sometimes because first base is one of those places that's so deep and he's just kind of in that middle. And it's, you know, you're just like, ah, CJ Crone, Christian Walker, like they just all kind of blend together. What do you think about CJ Crone moving and where could he have an impact? You know, it's funny, by the way, I, I tried to look up Aaron Savali splits at Fenway and like, I swear I'm on baseballreference.com and there's no, there's no, uh, Appearance at Fenway. Looks like he's, I swear, he's never pitched at Fenway. Is that possible? Am I crazy? 
No, uh, I, I, I guess it's possible. That's weird, yeah, though. He's exactly the type of dude who I think would be good at Fenway. Yeah, I, it's hey. If I'm wrong later on, somebody wants to call me out on it. It's fine. But I'm I'm looking at his ballpark splits for his career. There's huh. not one appearance at Fenway. But just Wild. saying. Anyways, CJ Crone. He's not just a guy who thrives at cores. You know, he's got power in his bat, and he's the kind of guy that I think uh, one of the bigger money teams would want to have as a power bat to really give them some offense down the stretch. The only concern is, you know, he. He's got back issues at times, and his health can be up in the air. Again, this is a guy who came by the Tigers for a couple minutes, and he he hit power in Comerica, which is not always an easy thing to do, although right-handed hitters do have more success with power at Comerica. But I love C.J. Crone as a guy that could maybe really make a difference for a team. Like, like what about is Milwaukee? Would Milwaukee think, like, hey, we need some more power in our lineup. Let's bring C.J. Crone in here and uh, see if he can make Bernie the Brewers slide down a few more times in the postseason. Yeah, Milwaukee is a great call out, particularly with Rowdy Telez on the injured list. Like they could use some power in that lineup. The thing about the Brewers that I don't feel bad for them at all because I'm a Cubs fan. But the thing about the Brewers that I am constantly keeping an eye on is they just don't have dudes who hit. Like their team WRC plus for the last four seasons has been in the 80s. And I don't get it because that's a hitter's ballpark. But for whatever reason, people do not hit there and they come over and they hit briefly and then they stop hitting. So like Willie Adamas came over to Milwaukee and raked for like 37 seconds and then stopped raking. Uh, Rowdy Telez came over and like raked for a minute and then stopped. And I honestly don't understand what's going on with the Brewers, but I love the idea of CJ Crone reinvigorating that lineup. I think that's a great call out. It's only temporary, and if it could be just for a moment, it's enough to get them through. And they really do need more power in that lineup, but you're right. Thank you. Something funky going on there sometimes with their hitters. But Christian Yelich came back to life, so who knows? <laughs> Anything is possible. The next guy on this list is a guy who I, I put a question mark on this, but I really think he could close anywhere, and a lot of these teams could use a real closer. Jordan Hicks, moving away from the Cardinals, throwing 100 miles per hour for someone else. I like him as a target for the Diamondbacks. I like him as a target for anyone who needs an actual closer. What do you think about Jordan Hicks? Well, I my immediate gut response is to absolutely just crap on Jordan Hicks. But, you know, <laughs> you look at his peripherals, and it looks like he's an even better pitcher than what he's doing right now and what he does in the past. I got to give the guy more credit. He's not just a... A super hard throw and righty closer. There's more to his game. Yes, the walks are always to be a problem. But other than that, you know, if he can keep up his strand rate, like his strand rate this year, left on base percentage, 71%. If he could keep that there, maybe creep it up a couple more percentage points, he could be even better than he's been, which has been pretty darn good. He doesn't give up a lot of homers. That's one of the benefits of his game. He really limits the homers, which is crucial, especially for closers in tight games. You don't want to give up the long ball. So uh, I think. I think Hicks, if they're really ready to move on, if they believe that Ryan Helsley could still be their guy, then they'll move him and they could get something for Hicks. I think a team would be pleased to put Hicks at the back of the rotation or at their bullpen than maybe I originally thought, Sarah. I've always been anti-Hicks, but he's changing my mind. And again, you got to change with the times, folks. I mean, I'm kind of anti-Hicks too, but that's mostly because he's a Cardinal. I like him as a closer for a team that needs a closer. And I think that, you know, you look at what the Diamondbacks are doing, and I hate to bring it back to the Diamondbacks again and again, but, you know, they've got this Andrew Chafin, Scott McGuff, Ginkle thing going on, and it's like, really, like, this is not 
it's not the back end of a bullpen Ugh. that is going to keep and then going to compete in the National League West. And so I feel like Hicks is a really good fit there. And the Diamondbacks and Cardinals have matched up on some trades before. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. The next dude on this list is as far away from Jordan Hicks as humanly possible. Kyle Hendricks, if the Cubs choose to sell, uh, throws 88 and does so with precision. The thing I will say about Kyle Hendricks is he can eat some innings for you and he can be an excellent starting pitching for you. And the only teams that should be interested in Kyle Hendricks are teams who have excellent defense and a pitcher's park. Well, if for some reason the Cubs want to move, do you think the Cubs really want to move Hendricks, by the way? I don't think they want to, but I think, at, so the Cubs have seven games left before the trade deadline. I think if they win four of those, they're buyers. I think if they win two of those, they're sellers. And I think wow. anything in between is kind of one of those, like, I don't really know what happens here. The reason I think they're sellers if they only win two of those games, for the record, is because Jed Hoyer is staring down the barrel of, I have some of the best trade assets in this market. Everybody wants starting pitching. Everybody wants a lefty bat. And I have all of that stuff. And Jed Hoyer has no soul. So he's perfectly happy <laughs> to trade the last remaining member of the 2016 World Series team for 17-year-olds in spare parts and draw drive a dagger into the heart of every fan on the north side of Chicago. He does not care. He proved that test when he trade, traded Anthony Rizzo for like an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, one of whom has like actually left the game. Like this dude just didn't show up for a while and the Cubs were like, okay, I guess you're gone now. And I was like, you literally like one of the dudes you got for Anthony Rizzo just like absconded. He just like left and you were like, okay, that's fine. A lot of soulless men in baseball. That's what I'm learning today. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> I might be bitter about the Anthony Rizzo trade, and I might uh, not appreciate Jed Hoyer at all. I'm going to trust your judgment on that. I think you're perfectly capable of judging whether a man has a soul or not. But with <laughs> Kyle Hendricks, you know, maybe Miami's a nice park for him. Maybe San Francisco is. Uh, those are some things or places that where I would feel, okay, maybe Kyle Hendricks could thrive here. But you're right. There is limited places where Hendricks could go and you'd feel comfy, like, okay, I trust him here. And maybe, again, we'll go back to the Rangers, desperate for veteran starters that they could trust. You know, Hendricks has been in the mix, and if he's at his best right now, if he can, if that changeup could really thrive right now and he could limit a lot of dangerous contact, I think playing in Texas, he would actually be a starter that could be useful for them as like a third, as a fourth starter in a playoff. Well, Texas, Texas is interesting because it's climate control. So the one thing I've noticed about Kyle Hendricks this season the changeup looks like a wiffle ball, but the one bad outing that he's had was when the Red Sox knocked like four run, four home runs out of the park real fast. It was a hot, humid day at Wrigley, and nothing about the Cubs' defense can protect against a home run. And so it's one of these situations where the dude throws 88 with precision and has an elite changeup, and climate control is really important for that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Love that call out for the Rangers. Um, Josh Hader, if the Padres choose to sell, and I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think they're going to, but if they did choose to sell, he's in the last year of his deal with the Padres. He would close wherever, right? Like he becomes the closer instantly. Pretty close. Yeah. I think even if Atlanta wanted to bring him in, he might push for the closer's job. I think uh, where he could serve best if the Padres decided to trade him. And I really don't think they will, but if they did, I think, Maybe even uh, Tampa Bay might think, hey, we're on the end of this deal. We could get the most out of Josh Hader down the stretch. We got a brutal division here. I mean, Baltimore's got Felix Bautista. Toronto's got Jordan Romano. 
uh, the Yankees, maybe the Yankees think they could bring Hader in, actually. So there's some really heavy-duty closers in the AL East, but there's also teams that could use the Hader's ability to fight fire with fire, if I can use a Metallica reference. And maybe, uh, oh, we haven't talked Minnesota much at all here. Maybe Minnesota would be in the mix to build up their bullpen as well. They've got a lot of, they got some veterans like Jorge Lopez, who's, he's not dominant, but he's savvy. But then, you know, Duran, the youngster, is inexperienced. So maybe Hader could come in and absolutely be the closer for Minnesota on a team that I really think will make the playoffs no matter what. That would push Minnesota over the top. That's a great call out. I love that. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think the Padres are going to deal him. Like you said with AJ Preller, I think that he's kind of all locked in and loaded, but it could, it could happen. If it does happen, Josh Hader is a dude who could displace the closer that you have. So keep an eye on Josh Hader moves. Similarly, Blake Snell is a dude. He starts wherever, like he becomes part of the rotation wherever he goes. He's an instant upgrade for whoever. And so I just think you have to keep an eye on him as a guy who could push your number four, number five guy out of the rotation. Absolutely fair. Yes. If Snell is moved again, I don't think that'll happen. I think Preller's locked in, but if he can upgrade the roster by moving Snell too, and Snell is, I think his value is back to almost the highest point it could be right now. Then sure. Why not take a lefty and put him in a team that could really benefit from his lefty dominance. Like, I don't know, maybe Houston could use a Houston could afford Blake Snell too. Maybe he comes in and they say, Hey, we're a little weaker this year with our starting pitching that we've been in the past, and we would love to go against Texas with Blake Snell, and that could be a real nice fit. Oh, that's a great call out. The last dude on this list is Tyler O'Neill, and honest to God, I just need the Cardinals to free Tyler O'Neill. Like, let him go. He can become Randy Rosarena and Adelise Garcia and Zach Gallen and all of the other dudes that the Cardinals have let go because for whatever reason they didn't fit the Cardinal way. You could build a really good roster out of dudes that the Cardinals are like, yeah, we'll pass. Wow. I like it. Talking trash on the Cardinals. I'm here for that. Uh, He's back on the scene. He's playing. You know, he had three RBIs in his last game against the D-backs. So he's back, and he's showcasing right now that he's healthy and he can hit. So let's do it. Put Tyler O'Neill somewhere where he fits. Where's the best fit for Tyler O'Neill? Give me a team. What do you think? I'm looking up at this list. Um, The Yankees could use an outfielder. Tyler O'Neill would mash at Yankee Stadium. Oh, he, he definitely would. What about Philly, though? He's a gold glove outfielder who has power. And Philly like could be a Philly. nice spot. Yeah. Well, and, like and he would outfit. just fit in. He would just, like, the Philadelphia Phillies fans would immediately be O'Neal mania, right? Like, that would be kind of, <laughs> that would be kind of funny. He's got those Popeye arms. Like, Tyler, wasn't his dad, like, Mr. Canada or something? Yeah, he's all about bodybuilding. He's hardcore. He's one of these, like, super ripped guys. Yeah, absolutely. The whole family's about it. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, thank you so much, Michael Govier for running through the trade deadline, buyers, sellers, players, top targets with me. I'm going to end the show on the question we always end the show with, which is, what is your best piece of advice for a newish fantasy baseball player? And what I mean by this is, think about me the first time I was on the Palazzo podcast and I was like playing in my fantasy leagues, but not really in an industry fantasy league yet. I'm about to make the jump. You know, who? what type of advice are you giving that player uh, that was like me three or four years ago when I first joined you on the Palazzo? Well, I would tell people to keep it simple. Don't overload yourself with too many leagues. That's the first thing I would say. In fact, it's always totally fine to just play in one league that's very competitive and intensive and requires a lot of your time. And just remember that asking questions is a good thing. And don't, don't be shy, you know. Uh, connect with people that are open to answering your questions. And I think a good way to f- weed people out 
that aren't going to be helpful is to immediately ask questions. You know, forget your pride and put that aside. You want to be curious. You want to learn. I know I do when I want to get involved with something. I need to learn about it. So if I ask questions right away and people are not responsive to that, then I know that's somebody that, okay, I don't really want to deal with that person. And there's going to be other people that are much more receptive to sharing information and helping me along. And I think doing that, keeping things simple, asking questions, and not being afraid to to challenge yourself or to be wrong either. You know, I, I think I think a lot of people say that, oh yeah, I mean, I'm willing to be wrong, but I don't know if we always believe that on the inside sometimes. I, I, I know even I don't, I'll be honest. I, there's been times where I got in my own way because I wasn't, I wasn't willing to be incorrect and I thought I knew everything. So that's my advice to people in that situation. Just be willing to ask questions. And if people aren't receptive to that, you know, go elsewhere. Keep looking around. Don't be, don't be stifled by other people. That's the other thing too, is don't let other people ruin it for you. Cause there's a lot of great people out there in fantasy baseball and the baseball world, but there's also some people who aren't great because every business, every industry, every realm has people like that. Don't let them ruin your good time. Stay true to yourself and keep plodding along. It's a really great point about asking questions and how much you learn just from asking those questions and like hearing how people answer. Maybe you don't agree with the answer. Maybe you don't act on it. Maybe you don't make the trade that you ask somebody about, or you don't rank the players exactly the same way after you get some feedback. But I have found in this industry, some of the people that you think of as like the most elite players are super willing to exchange their knowledge and their thoughts with you in a quick conversation. Like I have been super fortunate to have people I'm like, hey, what do you think about this player versus that player? And they're like, they'll like respond instantly. And I, 10 years ago, did not think that was a possible thing. Like I didn't think I could DM some of these guys, like an Alex Fast or Jeff Zimmerman or like, and get a response. Like I just kind of thought they were like, oh, they're over there, like I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that you learn in this industry really fast is that these are real human beings. And they're super interested in this just like you. And anytime people are interested in the same thing and you're being like not annoying about it, like people are willing to hear you out and help you out and listen to you about things. And one of the lessons of First Pitch Arizona to bring this back to where we started is that these are people you can just hang out with and have a beer with and, and have a great time with. I mean, one of my favorite memories from First Pitch Arizona, Jenny Butler and Lauren Auerbach and Nick Pollock and I were watching game seven of the world or game six, sorry, of the World Series. Um, because, and, and it was against the home run derby. So it was like, you had to choose, you had to make this terrible choice of like, I'm going to go to the home run derby or I'm going to watch game six. And we wound up watching game six, but I, I will never forget Nick Pollock, just like running around the bar at the Sheraton, just like furious that the starting pitcher had been lifted for the Phillies and just like absolutely apoplectic about the whole thing in the same way that I lost it when Kyle Schwarber hit a home run. And it's one <laughs> of those situations where you realize you're like, we are all just baseball fans. And baseball fans all get into this the same way, whether you have a huge audience or a small audience or however big that audience might be. And we can all learn from each other. And it's just like, it's a great space to ask questions, to learn things, to try stuff out and just jump into it. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Absolutely. That's a really good point. You know, I, I wrote about that in Groove with Gauthier for this week on FTMFantasy.com. You, you always I do. did. You, you have the best I, column. Check out Michael's <laughs> column. Tell, tell everybody where they can find your work. It's at FTMFantasy.com. It comes out every Tuesday. And I wrote about this week uh, what people think they know when it comes to your trades and when you're looking for opinions. Like everybody in your league, every league has a group text thread where they're talking uh, trash all the time and everyone's got their comments. And I made a couple of trades over the weekend and I got all these responses. And I just kind of 
put that out there, it's kind of related to what we're talking about here. When you make decisions, yeah, you want to get other people's opinions, but trust yourself in the end. Like everybody, everybody wants to think that they're Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill in Moneyball, but a lot of us, frankly, we're we're Grady. We're Grady the Scout that everybody, you know, we're living in the past. We're holding on to our old ways. So even myself sometimes, I admit that freely. So just, just think about that going forward. You know, you have to live with the decisions you make with your roster and, you know, all the trash talk and people's opinions aside, you got to trust you in the end. Listen, at the end of the day, he gets on base. The answer is he gets on base. That's the whole point of <laughs> the game. Is. I mean, who are we talking about earlier? The, oh, the doll Bruhan, where I was like, he should have 20 steals one of these years. Like, what's going on? I was like, you got to get on base. You can't steal first. Michael Govier, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you on Twitter? And obviously, we know we can find your work at FTN Fantasy, but tell us where else we can find your work. Yeah, well, uh, what well, used to be called Twitter, I guess, uh, whatever it's, it's called. Still Twitter. We're not yeah, calling I mean, it that, and we're not calling them Jeets or whatever. Like, okay, <laughs> Jeets sounds a lot like jeets and i am old enough to remember that news cycle and we're not doing that so they're still tweets, people and michael govier where can people find you on twitter where can they read your work yeah i when i wrote my article i said the place we used to know is twitter every time i'm not calling it whatever it is now but you can find me mj govier mj govier and then that branches out to everything you know what the palazzo podcast discord's awesome you can find the link at the palazzo podcast on what used to be known as twitter two l's two z's it's all there and uh we got the youtube subscribe there basically we live stream every show i do so you can watch it on youtube or you can listen to it on your preferred podcast platform and um yeah like, like we said trade deadline's coming up too so if you want to talk more about that we got a lot of good fun stuff here to close out the season with as well Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find everything about the show at, at what the fab. You can subscribe to the show by searching for fans first sports network, fantasy baseball, and please subscribe. So you never miss an episode. Let us know how we're doing in the reviews. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review because it helps other people find the show. We will be back next time after the trade deadline to talk through what worked, what didn't work, and where all these teams are, what you need to do for your fantasy teams to win your league. Till then. <laughs> <laughs>